This war represents a failure to listen. Release your anger. Only your hatred can destroy me. Something terrible has happened. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Anger, fear, aggression. The dark side of the force of the Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. No, no, you're still holding on! Let go! Biggest problem in this universe is nobody helps each other. That's how we're gonna win. Not fighting what we hate. Saving what we love. Hello, and welcome to Who Shot First, a Star Wars controversy podcast. Your one-stop shop for all controversies surrounding the Star Wars universe. I'm your host, Alex. And I'm your other host, Ethan. And today we have a special guest. If he would like to introduce himself. My name is Shamim. Nice to meet you again, Shamim. We've had you on the podcast before. We did a little interview, but today we decided to get you on for an actual podcast. This is very exciting. Yes. So, Ethan, would you like to introduce the topic today or would you like me to do it? Uh, Today we are discussing uh, Mandalorians and in the Clone Wars and sort of their world and the roles and how they were portrayed. Correct. So the so before we get started, Shamim, how did you become a Star Wars fan? What is your current relationship with Star Wars? Can you give us a little history about your relationship with Star Wars, if you'd like? I, I don't remember how I became a Star Wars fan. I can share my earliest memory of watching Star Wars or experiencing Star Wars. I was single digits age, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there. And I remember I was at a friend's house in Woodbury. His name was Pat. And he had a den. He had a living room and a den. And in the den, there was a TV in the corner. And I remember watching the scenes from A New Hope uh, on Tatooine with the droids and the Jawas and whatnot. I remember that very vividly. That's, I don't remember watching the whole film but that's my earliest memory of watching Star Wars and experiencing Star Wars was on the old VHS with the blue Star Wars across the top with Darth Vader's face on the cover. That was the version that he had. And that's my earliest memory of Star Wars. And uh, I remember loving it ever since. I remember going to episode one when it came out in theaters. I saw Empire Strikes Back special edition in theaters. And I remember my eyeball was scratched at that time. So I had an eye patch this was like a day or two before Empire Strikes Back came out again in theaters in uh, for the special edition. I was so excited to go see it, but my eyeball was scratched. So I, I had a weird experience watching that one because I could only see it out of one eye. Um, but for the last several years, I've been building custom lightsaber uh, replicas myself out of my garage. And that's sort of been my most recent experience with Star Wars. I don't do that anymore. I'm sort of retired from that, but I still love Star Wars and especially lightsabers. So. It's a little about my experience with the franchise. Awesome. Let's ex- explain the controversy first. So the controversy around Mandalorians and the Clone Wars stems from what we will call legends now, but at the time was not legends canon. So Star Wars books created a history of Mandalorians, mainly through Karen Travis's work, creating them as this very powerful, very originating warlike culture who adopted whoever wanted to become a Mandalorian. It was not, not between races, but it was, it was not a, you are born a Mandalorian. It is you adopt the culture. The Clone Wars 
altered that when they introduced the Mandalorians in where they introduced introduced uh, Shamim. I think you know it better. Who's, who's the main woman? And and Ethan, Duchess you know, Satine. Duchess. They introduced Duchess Satine, who is more focused on peaceful negotiate peaceful interactions. Still was a warlike society, I guess, but is no longer. And that frustrated and angered a lot of fans, uh, and I will say myself included, um, with that. So that is the general thoughts on the controversy itself. Now we get to dive in. Shamim, since you're here, do you want us, you get to pick, where would you like us to start with our positives or our negatives? Of why it was a good change? Oh, let's do positives. We're doing a switcheroo. Wonderful. This is where the fun begins. First of all, Ethan, or Shamim can go first, either one of you. What are your feelings on the Clone Wars change in the Mandalorian culture? Well, I will say that I didn't know too much about the Mandalorians in, I guess, what's now Legends uh, before getting introduced, reintroduced to them uh, in Clone Wars. My knowledge really only went as far as uh, Jango Fett's affiliation and kind of his background story, uh, which I think was, some of it was Legends, like the Legends background of Django uh, was kind of the extent of my knowledge uh, when it came to Mandalorian culture. So when they when they introduced them in Clone Wars as trying to be more peaceful, but still sort of talking about how they stemmed from a violent or uh, warrior-like culture, I thought was interesting. I, I wasn't uh, in the party of being outraged or or disappointed with that, just because I was someone who right didn't. Uh, have all of that previous knowledge going in. So, okay, Shamim, do you have anything to add with that? You have any thoughts on the original versus Clone Wars? I also like. I never read any of the Karen Travis uh, books. I never read any of the Django Boba Mandalorian comics. I was, you know, Mandalorian culture is not one of the sub genres or aspects of Star Wars that is most interesting to me. So I, I haven't read a lot of either canon or legends material on that. My greatest exposure to Mandalorian culture came from playing Knights of the Old Republic and its sequel, Knights of the Old Republic 2. Um, neither of those games obviously are canon anymore in full after Disney took over, but at the time they were the most prolific exploration of Mandalorian culture that I had seen. And this is Mandalorian culture as of 4,000 years before the original trilogy. So back then they were very much a warring race and it seemed while watching Clone Wars that this was a relatively new idea of trying to make Mandalorians peaceful because you had the, uh, you know, the Death Watch population that was very much against the peaceful and like, let's return to the old ways. So it, it felt like it might have been a relatively new thing because Satine really seemed to be leading that and she can't have been around for more than a decade or so at that point in the Clone Wars. So I'm looking at 4,000 years plus of warring Mandalorian society versus like 10 years of Duchess Satine trying to make it peaceful. And so for me, like obviously in taking the totality of Mandalorian culture into perspective there, they're very much a warring race who may have had pockets of, hey, let's try peace. And if we don't like it, we'll go back to being a warring tribe, you know, a warful planet again. So I don't feel like it contradicted 
the Legends canon, I think it just tried to do something new is like this particular generations of Mandalorians is trying to do something different, whether it works or not, we'll see. Okay. Like if they, if Clone Wars had been like, Mandalorians have always been peaceful, I would have been very upset with that because that would have directly contradicted the coder games that I loved and the aspects of Mandalorian culture that were introduced in that game. But since they were just saying, hey, 4,000 years ago, hundreds of years ago, we were warrior, we were warriors, but now we're going to be peaceful. I was like, that's fine. It's interesting. We'll roll with it. We'll see how it works. Okay. I will say, and uh, my opinion on it, I was not a fan. I, I have grown to appreciate them more as their history has been developed. But with the, especially with the original Clone Wars uh, reduction and or introduction of the Mandalorians, I wasn't a huge fan of it because, again, is my own personal thing. I interpreted that Duchess Satine was taking the pacifist route. I I assumed, and this may be may have been a wrong assumption, that this had been going on for a while, not just like her the length of her term. I thought it had been going on for like hundred, at least I was thinking a hundred years. I could totally be wrong, but like just in my brain, when I when I heard that like nope, they're going to be peaceful, I was not happy about it. As the the lore has developed and everything, I have become more okay with it, but uh, I still have certain small problematic elements with it. But again, that's the point of the podcast. We're all different. Doesn't matter what we all care about. Now remind me, is is Duchess Satine? like the official ruler because i thought they also had a prime minister she's the queen was, like the royal queen and then the prime minister is he was the guy that helped her rule and so like she appoints him or what or like gets voted or something but hmm, she is the, okay. the true leader he can get removed so but so first of all we're gonna go with the positives so we're going to say uh, – I'm going to – so the first things first is George Lucas never saw anything that was written as meaning anything. He did not view that as canon. So he, uh, he viewed that he was – what he wanted was what happened. So according to George Lucas, and now there have been novels about the events after episode six, which isn't all what I would have done with it. And that's George Lucas talking to Flannel 1, 2008. But that also relates to like the previous canon and stuff like that. So he's just commenting about how he that's not what he wanted. So Dave Filoni gets to talk, and he says, when I was making Clone Wars, I always knew we were doing the canon bomb or the continuity bomb. And I'd go into the office and be like, wait until you hear what the Mandalorians are like, according to George. And I would know a year or more in advance to what that was going to do. Dave Filoni states, and he says, that is exactly what George Lucas wanted. Mandalorians are exactly what George Lucas thought they were. Does that mean, like, the way, like, they're exactly the way he thought they were in terms of what? In terms of their, like... In the Clone Wars of, like, whether they were pacifists, whether they were... Okay. However their culture was, that's how he wanted them portrayed. Okay. Shamim, I know you like – you're a big fan of George, and you, you like his, his statements. Do you have any, any thoughts on, on George saying that, like, it's, it's what I want? I think that – first of all, I have a lot of problems with a lot of what George Lucas has decided to do with Star Wars throughout 
all the the different generations of Star Wars. Okay. I think that he is an excellent storyteller, but I I think that he has a lot of problems when it comes to individual dialogue and scenes and directing and editing and acting choices and whatnot, just in terms of movies. And then I think that some of his attitudes towards fandom could be more gracious and could be more consistent. I mean, obviously people are allowed to change their minds, but like the Mandalorians are exactly what I wanted them to be. If that's what George Lucas says in reference to the way that Mandalorians are portrayed in Clone Wars, the Mandalorians in Clone Wars are portrayed as being a, 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 a society rife with civil unrest and civil war. You have two powerful factions, the peace-loving faction and the civil war warrior side, the Death Watch side, both of whom are vying for power. And throughout the length of Clone Wars and Rebels, and then into Mandalorian, you have reference to several Mandalorian wars. So it, it seems to me like if George Lucas is happy with the way that they're portrayed, then he is happy with a level of dichotomy and diversity within Mandalorian culture. Okay. To, to build off of that, I found some comments on Reddit and stuff like that where it says, but it does acknowledge that historically the Mandalorians were warriors, not pacifists. They even have a warrior restoration in season five after Maul takes over. Uh, they also said the Clone Wars was actually far closer to the rest of the EU in this case and actually didn't invalidate anything Travis wrote. So that is that uh, those are people coming in defense of Mandalorians during the Clone Wars, as I know we'll get we'll get dive deeper into this later. But the the main complaint against current Mandalorian or the, the portrayal of Mandalorians is that they became pacifists and they basically tried to sit out the the Clone Wars. And a lot of people wanted them to just constantly be fighting and be awesome. And I think it, it shows the power of the ruler, not just of Mandalorians, but of planets and governments in general, that the ruler, the leader can take a culture and a society into completely new directions that parts of the population might not be in favor of. Even majority of the population might not be in favor of. I mean, a lot of that is reflected in current day society, not to get too political this early in the evening. But it's, it's interesting to me that if there have been 4,000 years worth of rulers who have embraced the warrior way, and then Duchess Satine comes along, maybe even someone before Duchess Satine, but let's just be generous and say a couple generations of people, of leaders who are like, let's take Mandalore in a different direction. Does that invalidate the previous thousands of years of warrior history? Does that automatically suppress and control the elements of Mandalorian society who want to be part of the war in the galaxy? No, it leads to a struggle for power. And you know, after D Duchess Satine spoilers is killed and Darth Maul and Pre Vizsla take over, How you know, dare it very you. much. I know, right? It, it very that's the controversy. Spoilers. We're, spoilers. We're, spoil, we're spoiling a ten-year-old TV show. Um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I interrupted. Continue. No, no, it's fine. And and when the leadership changes on the current canonical peaceful Mandalore, it all goes to and the Mandalorians get involved in the Clone Wars, and you know the the final battle of the Clone Wars takes place on Mandalore with the siege of Mandalore that we just saw with Ahsoka and and Darth Maul. So it's you know, Duchess Satine may have tried to keep Mandalore peaceful and keep them out of the Clone Wars, but the Clone Wars kept coming back and back to her. So it's interesting how 
right was she? How successful ultimately was she if her world was devastated by the war that she tried to keep herself and her people out of? Like it, it goes to the idea of inevitability and fate and whether anyone's individual actions can really make a difference or whether your inner nature of your culture and your society will ultimately uh, prevail. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. I agree. Anything to add, Ethan? Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, ultimately her legacy, Dr. Satine's legacy is uh, pretty much a, a failure. She, you know, her goals and her ideologies and what she hoped to, you know, for the planet and its culture is ultimately kind of squashed out after she's killed. And I just think that, you know, just kind of really interesting just to think about that, you know, on a broader scale, how that, Defeat, defeat of a defeat of peaceful goals, and just the fact that that usually isn't portrayed. You know, usually the the peaceful and the peaceful goals and the and the and the bad guys and the you know evil warriors are the ones that are defeated in the end. And I thought it was interesting that they that they rise to power ultimately um, instead of her. Yeah, and I will say to to before we dive into anything else, I will say I was originally super against the pacification of Clone Wars or or, what is considered the pacification of Mandalorians. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the beginning of the story and as you see the story progress, it changes. And so you get more of a detailed look at it. Looking back now at it, I think it's a pretty good story. I think it might not be told the way I specifically would want it, but I'm okay with it now. I have also changed a lot since the the since even just in, like investigating this because I'll say when I say I don't like something I'm not going to go get mad at people and scream at people and cuss people out on the internet and stuff like that I'll just say like I didn't like that they did this versus there's there's not a whole lot more with the positives that I was able to find just because this is kind of why I had other people on but it's very difficult to find people who are like actively positive for it because there's so many people that just either don't care or they're super fan boys, like super hardcore old fans who loved Karen Travis's books, which I think are really well written, but love them so much and want everything to be perfect. And Mandalorians are unable to be beaten and, and cannot be beaten and they're perfect. So to continue off of that, the only other there's a there's a criticism that comes up later during Clone Wars, and I, I I'm interested in see how you guys respect the react to this. The criticism, but the the defense is the criticism is that Clone Wars made Mandalorians white and made them completely like there's no people of color in the Clone Wars series. And so they eliminated the clan type relationship. And so what I so a defense of that from somebody online was I have to disagree with your claim that canon Mandalorians are all white people. The Wrens are the most prominent example against that. And so so we can keep going with that. What I will say there is I think that I would like to, if possible, stay in Clone Wars series, if possible. If not, that's fine. Because I will personally say I think. 
the the Ren family being or and all the people of color put in the Mandalorian suits later, I think might have been a correction by Dave Filoni later on. But also with that defense, Dave Filoni has it has been documented that Dave Filoni wanted to give the Mandalorians a very Nordic flavor, wanted to make them Nordic. And so Nordic people tend to be white. Uh, any thoughts on that, Ethan? I guess I, I can see how you know people would want more diversity in their, you know, spread out throughout the show rather than have one super awesome faction that everyone, you know, likes to be uh, completely whitewashed. And I mean, I do find it, you know, interesting to think about now, you know, that they, thinking back on the show, trying to think of any scenes that actually did have anyone of color as a Mandalorian and, and none actually do come to mind. And so when you mentioned that thing about incorporating more uh, people of color in like the Mandalorian show, I thought it was interesting that they were trying to maybe not overcorrect that, but but correct. Show and that's correct. and that's what I want to preface of like I don't think it was a reaction of like, oh no, we have to correct. But I do right. think I think it was a unconscious decision to not maybe not have people of color in Mandalorian suits during Clone Wars. And then they're like, oh, we should show some of these people like that. And so that's how it got fixed, I think. But right. And maybe, and maybe, you know, like if 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 they were meant to be Nordic, then it would make more sense if, if those who were born on Mandalore and you know were white and and Board, you know, had that armor, but then maybe, you know, with the foundlings and stuff, it would kind of make more sense if they're bringing other people from, you know, other planets Correct. into their culture. And, you know. Any thoughts, you mean? I find it difficult to, you know, when, when we explored Mandalore in the Clone Wars, we were pretty much consistently constrained to the capital city and like a death, a, a death watch camp here or there. Yep. nearby the main city because that's where they were trying to launch their attacks against Duchess Satine. So I I don't I don't know that just as a lore perspective, I can definitively say Mandalorians are white just because the majority, if not all, of the Mandalorians shown in the capital city and one or two small camps around that city on an entire planet happen to be white. You know, like I just did a quick Google search of Mandalorians and Clone Wars, and I found several screenshots where there are darker skinned people. And obviously in Rebels, we have the Wrens who are uh, clearly not a white Scandinavian uh, descent. They're inspired by uh, another kind of culture. I also am not always entirely against different planets in sci-fi or fantasy or different regions in planets and, 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 and sci-fi and fantasy always needing to fully represent the diversity of the human race as it exists on planet earth. Like it's a, it's a sci-fi fantasy place. There can be planets where the majority of people are of a certain race or, or culture as inspired by this world. And then there, are, there can be planets and cultures where it is very diverse and there are a lot of different kinds of people and sexes and, and races represented. As a white person, you know, it probably 
did not stick out to me that it was only white people that I was seeing on Mandalore because that is you know, very much a result of the white dominated society here in the US that I have grown up a part of, that that is the kind of media that I have grown up watching is white men and white women in leading roles and filling the background. And I don't notice when there aren't people of color and people of color, you know, very much do notice when they and people like them are not represented on screen. You know, I, I also come from a Persian background. So the small bits of Middle Eastern representation that we do have in Hollywood, I notice when it's not represented well or correctly. Like I always go back to the Prince of Persia movie where the closest thing to an actual Middle Eastern in that movie was Alfred Molina. And so, you know, it's, it's so I, I just from that part of my, my background, not as a white man, but as a Middle Eastern man, I, I notice that lack of proper representation. I don't know. It's it's a touchy, tricky subject. Correct. And yeah. so I will say, yes, yeah. very much so. But I will say the, so again, this is a little trickier because we're doing the positives first with the, with the discussions. The main thing that I've seen, because I think a lot of, I would probably agree with you, Shamim, about like seeing in Star Wars, you don't need, the, the way I've seen it is that because it's Star Wars, I can totally agree, Shamim, that like the, diversity while yes is important for like hollywood and stuff but for like star wars a planet could have good diversity or not good diversity the, no, the me, big sorry go ahead okay, uh but the big the, or like of, of the planet is not diverse if it's a bunch of people of color or a bunch of white people on it that's fine what i will say is the big criticism of that in clone wars was the fact that the karen travis novels in particular adopted a very much like adopt everyone into your culture and make like a melting pot. And that was the argument. And that's, I think why everybody was super upset with it. So. Okay. I totally, I totally yeah. get that. If, if the change from a diverse population to a white population is because it had previously been established in Correct. some book or graphic, yeah. graphic novel, that it was a multi multiracial thing. And then it was changed yes. to all white. I definitely see how that is, uh, can be upsetting. Let me ask, since I'm not familiar with them, when sure. are the Karen Travis books set? They are set during the Clone Wars. Like they're, so they are officially not canon. They are, they're literally set during, as the Clone Wars are happening. Yeah, of like they, and then the end, the, the Karen Travis books end at the end of like Order 66 is the last Clone Wars uh, novel. And then there's an Imperial Commando novel that comes after that. And then she was supposed to do some more. And then that's when she left. So these are Clone Wars books, Clone Trooper books, or are they yeah. Mandalorian books? They are Clone Trooper books, but they are heavily Mandal. Like they basically say that like Mandalorians trained the clones, and so then the tr the clones become Mandalorians. Well, the Clone mm -hmm. Wars TV show definitely does not do that. Yes. I mean, you don't see a yes. single clone. You don't see a single Mandalorian on Camino training any of the clone troopers. Right. So, so yes, that, there's a there's a lot of retconning going on in Clone Wars. Yes. And and that's that retcon happened even before clone before Wars they showed their yeah. Disney property. So like, correct. Oh no, this is all before Disney. I, this is all like a George Lucas decision. Well, then my, what are y'all like, getting yeah. upset about? There are tons of contradiction be, between the different books and video games even before Disney got involved in the mix. Like. 
that that's fine. Like you find your aspect of Mandalorian culture that you like, you know, and and you find your aspect like you you which you know there there's lots of different. I don't know. It's <laughs> like the old before even before Disney took over. Like all the books had contradictions, all the video games and everything. It, there was it was a massive tangle of plot inconsistencies and whatnot between all the old legends uh, stuff. So if there's some inconsistencies before Disney takes over in terms of how the clone troopers were were handled and how Mandalorian they are, I mean that's just part and parcel of Star Wars. It's 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 a mess. Star Wars is a mess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the the that's where the controversy comes from is the and it comes from because those Karen Travis novels became so popular. They they are, I think, before the Disney purchase, like one of, if not the most popular series of Star Wars. And so people were like, they were so invested in that. And that's why, so yeah, that, I mean, yes, this is all pre-Disney. And then Disney made Rebels and kind of tried to alter and show a more diverse cast, which is great. So that I believe ends us with positivity on that. Any thoughts on the positives that we have before we go into negatives? I like that a Ewan McGregor character falls in love with another character named Satine. That's just cool. As a Moulin Rouge fan, that's cool. Oh my gosh. That's all I have to say. <laughs> We're getting Moulin I mean, that was Rouge absolutely here. an intentional callback to Moulin Rouge that they did, and, and I thought it was really nice. So Oh, absolutely. Anyway, we can move yep. on. I got a bad feeling about this. So yes, a big thing that we have to know is that this is all pre-Disney. So, but... Leland Chi was in charge of Star Wars canon. And so he had three tiers of canon. There was George Lucas level canon. Then there was C-level canon. And then there was D-level canon. C-level canon was continuity overarching. And D-canon was basically random offshoots. He says, I did not have direct contact with George about Star Wars continuity. Dave Filoni, who worked on The Clone Wars, definitely did. So for me, the spirit of George's work is what's in the films, and it doesn't go too far beyond that. So he's saying that he did not have contact with Dave Filoni to maintain the connection and continuity. Uh, so at the time, Leland Chi, the in-house keeper of the EU Times, shot down many of the things that Filoni wanted to do put in The Clone Wars. Filoni would then go to George Lucas for approval and get the green light from him. And so that's where some people have some issues with that Dave Filoni went over Chi's head at the time. I will say that many of the big changes that happened in Clone Wars were George's complete idea. Not So I will defend that. Of like He may have gone over with a few things, but George made the big changes. It sounds pretty smart of Dave Filoni if he wants to do something in his own show and his, you know, manager says no, he goes to the manager's manager and says, hey, can I do this? Like, that's just gaming the system. I, I don't know what specific changes or things he wanted to put into Clone Wars, but I, I don't know that I can fault Dave Filoni for doing that. Because if there are tiers of canon and the second tier says no, but the top tier says yes. Like you got to go with what the top tier says, don't you? If if at that point the top tier George Lucas is still in charge of Star Wars, his word is law at that point, whether I like it or not. And there's plenty of his word that I don't like. 
That's my view on it. Yep, definitely. So a lot of what I found is that is through basically Reddit and like the the force forums and everything. Not a lot of articles about why it was bad, but some of them, a lot of them, unfortunately, were like very vulgar. And so I'm not going to be reading those. Uh, so, but a couple of them that I found were the Mandos were a race of warriors, great warriors, their whole life culture and upbringing revolved around their combat prowess. They have been changed to be pacifists. A worse one states that they were originally written as great warriors that even the Jedi had to worry about to go back to lessen their role is a travesty. And then, uh, Karen travesty. Ah, ah, hey, he's getting into the fate of, he's getting into the mood. That is, it has been called the Karen travesty. The, the whole, the whole controversy has been called that. So then another person says they become Prius driving peace loving hippies. They're supposed to be militaristic society bred for combat. They're supposed to be the greatest warriors in the galaxy. And I will say that's probably the biggest complaint that I've been able to find is that they are they a lot of people think that they became less than what they should have been all right well let me let let me grant all of that and let me then pose a devil's advocate question if mandalorians during the clone wars were the most bad warriors in the galaxy they would have won the clone wars and there never would have been an empire right like in order for palpatine to have the droids and the clones and the Jedi all fighting against each other and all of them wipe each other out and Palpatine take over. He can't have the Mandalorians who are an independent, indestructible warrior race. What do you want to bet the chances are that Palpatine planted some ideas into Duchess Satine and you know sent envoys and peace-loving people to get the Mandalorians sidelined so that they wouldn't interfere in his Clone Wars. Like, I don't think that would be beyond Palpatine to try and do something like that. Oh no, that's that's absolutely what I take from that. It's it's him trying to play the game and keep them occupied. And I would say, like Maul was his. He he aimed Maul at the Mandalorians. Right, but then so when he then if he aims them at the Mandalorians, then then later he goes back and takes Maul out. Is that? Just him realizing that he Maul's gained too much traction because he calls him a rival at that point. So yeah, he, he miscalculated he, on Maul. Misca- right. Okay. As we said earlier in an earlier podcast, like because he sees Maul in the like robotic state and how powerful he is, that gives him the idea for Vader. Right. That he's like that's be, why he tries to save Vader so much. Like Vader's a crippled melting flesh and he goes through great lengths to save vader because he's mm-hmm. seen what maul can do when he wrote maul off for dead right it is interesting though to to think about if if the mandalorians had been at as powerful as they were written in legends now if they would have been able to if not win the war but just heavily influence it would be really interesting because you probably i don't know because you know the droids have just those overwhelming numbers and i don't know like exactly how much i mean i know mandalorians you know their own starships and and you know big star cruisers but i wonder if being the the eu 
knowledgeable person over here. Uh, the, basically, the way that the EU got away with not having the Mandalorians take over everything, and I will say this doesn't work with ha- with the sh- with the Clone Wars show. But the original EU idea, because they didn't know anything about Mandalorians, is that basically Mandalorians were a nomadic people, and so very few people actually lived on Mandalore, and they all went out mm. and they just were bounty hunters, and they all just were out everywhere living the Mando life and being awesome because the last time they all got together, they started a bunch of wars. So in order to Mm. not start a bunch of wars and destroy the galaxy, they all just spread out across the galaxy. Again, reading in the EU, that's really cool. If you look at it logically, it also kind of doesn't make sense. So I just thinking about it pretty hard now about how, how they would win, how they could win the clone wars if they (laughs) had involved. I guess, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes, it sort of makes sense, I guess, that if it, the idea that if you, if too many of you are together, you're bound to start a bunch of, at least a war, because you just have so much rivalries with one another, or just, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. So to continue on the feelings that it was not great, somebody says, And this, I will say, I don't agree with, but basically, despite the movie canon and book canon, George Lucas pretty much devastated all that and made the Mandos a bunch of pacifists for Obi-Wan to get a love interest and move on a dumb season. Well, he's entitled to his opinion. Correct. But I I do not. I will say I wasn't a huge fan of the Obi-Wan-Satine relationship, but I will not. I strong hard disagree on the fact that the mandos were only there and only made pacifists in order for obi-wan to have a love interest yeah and i thought that i thought the satine obi-wan relationship was was interesting i thought it just kind of it gave that little sense of humanity and feelings towards obi-wan that when you know later he discovers that anakin has, has been with padme he's sort of more understanding about that and, you know, because he's been there and, and had his own interests, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to give him that little bit of character development. Yeah, Ethan, I totally agree with you. The, the, the Satine Obi-Wan story makes it so much more tragic that Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship was not close enough for Anakin to trust Obi-Wan to go to him with his conflicted feelings. Of all of the thousands of Jedi in the galaxy, Obi-Wan is the probably the only one who would understand exactly what Anakin is going through. Because Qui-Gon was like a father to him and Obi-Wan lost right. his father figure, his parent figure. Anakin lost his mother. He wasn't able to save his mother. Obi-Wan literally wasn't able to save his, his father figure. Qui-Gon because that red wall came and Darth Maul killed him so and then he also has a love interest who was killed so like and Anakin has a love interest that he's having visions is going to die and he wants to save his love interest of all the Jedi Obi-Wan is the one who would most be able to understand and help Anakin but the fact that Anakin doesn't go to Obi-Wan makes it so much more tragic because like you were you were there you were that close Anakin to not falling to the dark side if you had just reached out to the one person in the universe who could actually have helped you and Maul also also kills yeah Maul Maul kills his his father interest and his love interest yeah it's it's a double whammy for poor Obi-Wan it it also I think heightens Obi-Wan 
to make him, you know, he's such a, he, he has gone through so much, this poor Obi-Wan, not only the, the, the Qui-Gon and then having to raise Anakin, which I'm sure was a very difficult thing. And then losing Satine, going through the Clone Wars, getting turned on during Order 66, and then having to fight his own brother who was trying to kill him, Anakin, having to leave Anakin there burning to death, quote unquote, he thought to death. What an awful, awful thing for Obi-Wan to go through. And at the end of it, he still spends 19 years hopeful that Luke will save the galaxy and do what he wasn't able to do, bring peace to the force and balance to the force. It make it adds a lot to Obi-Wan's character. So we're in agreement, Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. Plus their banter is so fun. I love the Obi-Wan Satine <laughs> banter. Like they're at that dinner yeah. table. I love it. It's it they're they're going back and forth at each other. It's it's great. Great banter. I love it. I think it I shows would... a lot of dis oh sorry. Go for oh. it. I was just gonna add, I, I think it shows a lot of like uh, Obi-Wan's restraint and discipline too, that he doesn't, you know, after Maul kills, you know, all these, you know, really important people in his life, you know, that he doesn't, you know, isn't succumbed by rage and, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't let that influence him overall, you know, and, and finally, you know, spoiler alert, when he kills him on Tatooine, I thought that was just another beautiful scene uh, and just sort of like the perfect kind of ending to to their relationship as a mm -hmm. whole. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked, but <laughs> just, just a little, just, just a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. But I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot more to talk about with the negatives because that that's basically it. Is most people they don't like how they became pacifists. They don't like how they became less of a. I, I guess the the last one. There's a last comment that I can say that kind of dives into basically the interesting piece of them. They were written in the Karen Travis series as multi-species mercenaries with a focus on family, war, and adoption to and were turned into blonde-haired, blue-eyed pacifists. So, I mean, that basically sums up all the criticisms of it in that they went from being the the connection the, the the strong folks on family adopting everybody and having a culture and turning that into at the time what was only viewed as again uh, white Nordic people but again that was only in the capital at the time and then turning them also into pacifists which again a lot of people want them to be amazing and kill everything. But as Shamim brought up, it it doesn't make sense. You you if you if you're that good, you you would be taken out, and that's kind of that's basically what happens in Clone Wars. Is that Palpatine knows that they're good, and if they ever came together truly against someone, he would have to deal with them. And so he puts a pass helps the pacificity take care of everything and tries to divide the nation. Or divide the planet. Mm -hmm. I'll also just speak very briefly on the larger issue of continuity between uh, legends, you know, within legends and then Disney. I remember one of the big points that Disney made when they took over and decided that all the old legend stuff wasn't going to be canon anymore is because Disney was going to very forcefully make sure that every single thing that they put out Star Wars related was now going to fit 
nicely into one cohesive bit of continuity and nothing would contradict itself. And they've failed at doing that five years. Yes, in. they have. There, oh, there I was, are, yeah. you know, there are aspects, yeah. you know, there, I'm, you know, they've, they've failed at their central mission to make one Star Wars canon that doesn't contradict itself. You know, <laughs> books contradict TV shows, contradict graphic novels, contradict video games. All of it is supposed to be canon, but there are aspects that don't line up. And so even now you still have what is true canon and there is no true canon. True canon is what you make it to be, I think, as a fan. You know, um, you take the elements of Star Wars that speak to you and that becomes your canon. You know, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, that is not canon to me, even though the author herself wrote it and it is quote unquote canon within Harry Potter. That book, you know, that, that story is not canon for me. That is not my Harry Potter canon. And as a fan, I have the right to say that is not what actually happened to the characters that I love, right? Like if the Mandalorians for you are warriors and that is the Mandalore that you love, the Karen Travis novels and the KOTOR games are your aspect of Star Wars canon. And no one can tell you that, no, it's wrong because it contradicts what Disney's doing. Disney contradicts what Disney is doing, right? So canon is what you want it to be, would be sort of my ending argument to bring balance to the force that actually like lines up perfectly with what i was about to say uh so i Sorry. i actually found i found no 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 that's great it like i so i found online uh, a guy so just briefly there's been a lot of problems right now with with uh star wars theory and that I'm not gonna. We're not even gonna talk about that. But a lot of that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Right. But that. But there's a lot of like anger and just so much hatred right now about what's canon, what's not, blah blah blah. So I found this guy on online. I and his name's Daniel Gilliam, and it, it's amazing what he wrote. I I really like it. So what he says is, I hate the excessive use of the term canon in modern fandoms. Comic books have been rebooting and multiversing for years. I don't care what it is or isn't canon or what someone else likes or doesn't like. Everyone should just like whatever they like and never under any circumstances watch a YouTube video that explains why something is good or bad. I also <laughs> love Star Wars dearly. It's one of my favorite things, but let's get this straight. All of them are silly movies. All of them have really dumb stuff in them, depending on when you were born, probably influences what level of nostalgia you view each trilogy. Mm-hmm. So that just that just lines up perfectly with it all of of yeah, Disney's messed up their own canon. Again, George has his own idea of what's canon, but he doesn't own it anymore, so it's not canon. There's just, it's like whatever you want to like. Mm-hmm. I agree. Any wrap up thoughts, Ethan? Oh no, yeah, that uh, that tweet was was perfect. You know, yeah, absolutely. Just everybody, just enjoy what you like. Why why do we have to uh, berate others for? for liking things that, that you might not or and vice versa. So, you know, if you, I, I, I agree. If you, if you want the, if you want the Mandalorian novels to be canon, well, darn it, they are canon, you know, just create your own universe. Who cares? Yep. All right. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Shameen. And it was great having you. Thank you, gentlemen. It was a pleasure being here. Um, if you'd like to find the podcast, you can find us at who shot one SW pod at, uh, on, on Twitter. And you can find us at who shot first SW pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give us any 
feedback or comments, let us know. We're always looking to grow and, and learn and be better at podcasting as we are slowly getting better as it works through. Yeah. I gotta you get can my listen own to mic. our opposite. You can, you can listen to our episodes and understand that we are getting better. And <laughs> also just uh, leave us a review on anything. If you can do that, get us in, help us grow and uh, have a great day. Never tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds. People are counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> oh, really? You're cold? Uh, now it is time for us to go into positives. Any final thoughts I mean, on, on negatives, Ethan or Shamim? I thought we started with positives. You started with positives. I did. You're right. I'm totally speaking wrong. So 